Well, yes, literally just voted them, and now they come back to visit. We welcome you back, and we're glad you're here for even just a week with us. And they tell me that they actually go to church multiple times on more than once on Sabbath because they have church with us, and then they go to their, or maybe it's the other way around. I, I don't know time zones. I don't know. It's a, it, I think you go to church first with you, and then you come to church with us, something like that. But we're glad to have you. I want to uh, solicit your prayers uh, tomorrow morning. Um, hopefully I'll be done by this point in time, but tomorrow morning I will be running a marathon in D.C., 26 miles, 26.2 miles. My friend Ed Garcia thinks here he's running as well. And so uh, please keep me in your prayers. And if you happen to be in D.C. and you see a, a, a guy, a slow guy prodding with a beard, that might be me. So just go ahead and encourage him and, uh, and wish him well. You might notice that all the music, if you read the music notes, is from the period of the Reformation and, and, this, and the children's uh, uh, story was from the period of the Re- uh, Reformation or from another reformer, John Wesley, and we're going to continue in that theme. But before we do, let's have a word of prayer. Jesus, we thank you so much for your grace, for your mercy. Continue to speak to us as you already have. In your name we pray, amen. October 31st is recognized all over this nation and in other parts of the world as uh, what some would consider the festive day of Halloween. But to the Christian, October 31st should remind us of who we are, Protestants. We are Protestants. For it was on October 31st, 1517, that Martin Luther protested. He nailed 95 theses to a door in Wittenberg, and this is seen as, the, as, as the, the launching point of the Reformation. And this is October 31st, which I've stated before, but I will state it again, which means if any of you participate in Halloween, all your children are required to look like John Calvin or Martin Luther or some other uh, reformer on this October 31st. But this is where the Reformation was born. And, and out of these roots, we as Seventh-day Adventist Christians came. And we remain, as Seventh-day Adventists, reformers of that which we see as, as not biblical or, or that which we see as, as speaking against the biblical convictions we have. We remain reformers against entities in both the secular and the spiritual realm that try to enforce by any means individuals to go against their biblical convictions. We protest. That is what a Protestant is. We are protesters. But the danger of being a a protester, a Protestant, is, is that we can become just as wrong as that which we are protesting against. We can, in the end of all our protests, end up needing just as much reformation in our own hearts as that which we are trying to reform. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, Paul wrote this. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Paul was writing here to the church in Corinth, and he was relating how, how history showed that even God's chosen people could become susceptible to wrong actions if they were not careful. Eugene Peterson, the Christian writer that passed away just this last week, who, who um, pastored a small Presbyterian church just uh, up the road from us in Bel Air, Maryland, for 30 years, passed away this last week. And, and, and the paraphrase of the Bible that 
Heidi read from the message. I want to read it one more time. These are all warning markers. In other words, the stories of the Old Testament. Danger, they say, in our history books, written down so that we don't repeat their mistakes. Our positions in the story are parallel. They at the beginning, we at the end. And we are just as capable of messing it up as they were. Don't be so naive. Don't be so self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God-confidence. Protesters and reformers can become just as wrong as that which they are seeking to change. On the other hand, those that were once protesters can in like manner become persecutors if they are not mindful as well. Let me tell you about the Anabaptists. The Anabaptists who eventually became the the Mennonites and the Amish, or out of, out of the Anabaptist roots came the Mennonites and the Amish. But they were the reformers of the reformers. The Anabaptists were the reformers of the reformers. The reformers, Luther, Zwingli, Calvin, these are the big three that I think of when I think of, of the Reformation. And all of these big three, Luther, Zwingli, and, and, and Calvin, they all, in their midst of their Reformation, they all depended upon civil authorities, They all depended upon civil authorities to help them establish, and we could even say enforce, their reforms. They depended on someone else's power, someone else's positioning in order to establish the reforms that they were trying to enact. But the Anabaptists were not comfortable with this type of association that that these reformers had. They wanted a more clean separation between church and state. They also felt that there were areas in which the, the, the reformers did not go far enough in bringing about reformation. In fact, all these areas that I would mention are, are areas that we have embraced as Seventh-day Adventists. You see, as they explored the Bible, they came to a, a number of important convictions. They came to the conviction that, that believers' baptism, that, that, that the only true baptism was believers' baptism. In other words, they opposed infant baptism since a a toddler or an infant is not old enough to make a decision for Christ on his or her own. They also believed in rebaptism. If you've you've fallen away, if you've left Christ, that you then need to be rebaptized, recommit yourself to him. They embraced the Lord's Supper, not as the mass, but as a simple meal that was shared amongst fellow believers, and, and they, for those of you that maybe not like this, part, this much of communion, this part of communion, they are the ones that brought back the foot washing that we here practice as Adventists. They reinstituted this. They supported church discipline, and they supported separation from the world. They refused to take any oaths or sign any pledges of loyalty in obedience to Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount, in which Jesus said, simply let your yes be your yes and your no be your no. And they said, for this reason, we will not sign any documents pledging our loyalty or allegiance to a particular church or idea. And finally, they would not allow any member of their fellowship to bear the sword. They were pacifists. All these 
positions of conscience led them to protest not just the power of the papacy that Luther and Zwingli and Calvin were protesting, but, but these positions of conscience actually led them to protest Luther and Zwingli and Calvin and all of those reformers as well. And do you know what happened? Persecution began against the Anabaptists. But not just persecution by, by the, the papal authorities, by, by others as well. In fact, at the Diet of Spire in 1529, just 12 years after Martin Luther had nailed the 95 Theses to the door in Wittenberg, the, the Protestant reformers and, 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 and the Catholic Church came together and they voted. Voting in matters of conscience is never a good idea. They voted against this group of people and they declared that they seemed that it was good they, they, they voted to impose the death penalty for those who practiced baptism, rebaptism, and baptism by immersion. And the papacy began to burn people at the stake, and the reformers, the reformers, the protesters against the authority of the papacy, the reformers in Switzerland were drowning the Anabaptists. In fact, four years prior to this vote in the house of Felix Mance, under the convictions that I just shared, the Lord's Supper being a simple supper, baptism of believers, pacifism, there was the first Anabaptist baptism. A former priest by the name of George Blarock was baptized, and shortly thereafter, another several hundred people received baptism, the believer's baptism by immersion. And this was seen as the launch of the Anabaptist movement, and, and this was also seen as, as heresy. And the reformers who had, who had stood under the slogans of sola scriptura, scripture alone, sola fede, faith alone, sola gratia, grace alone, solus Christus, Christ alone, soli de gloria, to the glory of God alone, now had a different slogan. And this is written in some of the reformers' documents. He who dips shall be dipped by drowning. And Felix Mance, who hosted that first Anabaptist baptism, was the first victim. When he was bound, taken in a boat out onto the river, Lamont, near Lake Zurich, and thrown in and killed by the reformers. How did Peterson say it? These are all warning mar markers, danger in our history books, written down so you do not repeat their mistakes. Our positions are parallel, those at the beginning, ours at the end, and we are just as capable of messing it up. We are just as capable as, of, of being self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. Brothers and sisters, those of us that call ourselves Protestants are just as susceptible as the great reformers. We're just as susceptible as the great reformers we so admire of becoming just as sinful in our protest against those we are protesting against. And we who are Protestants are at just as much risk of imposing upon conscience in the name of the good of the larger body as those in our history who have protested, we have protested against. So how do we be avoid becoming what we've protested against in the past, and how do we protest 
and avoid sin in our protest. Let's turn to the Bible. In the book of Luke, if you want to open your Bibles with me, the book of Luke, chapter 6 and verse 31. Luke chapter 6 and verse 31. A text you should have memorized, probably many of you memorized in your Sabbath schools or Sunday schools. Luke chapter 6 and verse 31. Finish it for me. Do unto others as you would what? Have them do unto you. You've heard this before, right? It's known as the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If we all lived by this principle, maybe nothing else would need to be said. If we all lived by this, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Maybe nothing else would need to be said. If we paused and thought to ourselves in every situation, if I were in their shoes, how would I respond? If I had, had, had come from their background, how would I respond? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Is the first principle that we should all remember, both as, as those who protest and those maybe who are protested against. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The second principle is very similar, and it is the principle of not trying to get even. Not trying to get even. Romans chapter 12 and verse 19. Romans chapter 12 and verse 19. Paul writes the following to the Christians in Rome. He says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Do not take revenge. Hear me, my friends and fellow Protestants. It is sin to respond to one action with a counteraction with the spirit of retribution to prove a point or even just to express our displeasure. It is sin when we do this. To do such is, is called revenge, and that revenge is sin. I don't like what they did, so I'm going to prove my point by getting back at them and responding. We are not only to play this game of, of, of tit for tat, we are according to Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18 to not even bear a grudge and to love those that we would like to take revenge upon. Leviticus 19 and verse 18 the Bible reads, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. And then I love the way this text ends. I am the Lord. I like that because there's not really an argument that can happen there. It's not like God's like saying, how do you want to interpret this text? No, don't take revenge. Don't even bear a grudge. Love your neighbor. I am the Lord. Period. When we seek revenge, when we seek retribution through some action, we are, we are sinning. A third principle. Paul was in prison. And some were upset because there were actually those preaching the gospel because they knew that this would cause uh, more persecution to Paul. They, they understood that Paul was seen as the leader of the Christian movement. They thought, well, if we preach and if we stir up some trouble, it would actually be worse for him in prison, and we want to get at him. And so some of Paul's followers were upset with this and saying, these people should stop preaching the gospel. They should stop doing this. And here was, was Paul's response in Philippians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. He says this, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. 
The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. There are some that want to squash certain movements because they go against something of their understanding. Or they want to squash certain movements because it's something that makes them uncomfortable. Or maybe they want to squash certain movements even because it's something that they don't believe the same way as that individual. We should always be cautious of this. Paul didn't even care about these, people, these people's motives. All he truly cared about is the mission. A lot of people spend a lot of time talking about the mission and saying the mission is the main thing than actually doing the mission. The mission. When we lose sight of the mission, things always go south. Y'all understand our roots, right? You understand our roots, the roots of this great Advent movement began on heresy. You may say, wait a second, we, we began on heresy. Yeah. What was the heresy? Jesus is coming back. That's not the heresy. Jesus is coming back October 22, 1844, which I'm pretty sure goes against a specific text that says, no man knoweth the day nor the hour. Right? He's coming back October 22, 1844. Seems to go against the very clear teaching of the Bible. Our forefathers were going all over the place declaring this air. Jesus is coming back October 22, 1844. They were in air in the way they were going about what they were doing. They weren't in air on the principle that Jesus is coming soon. This is something we still believe, something we should still teach. But they were in air on, on the emphasis of when it was going to happen. And for this conviction, this wrong conviction, Ellen White, who was Ellen Harmon at the time, and her family, the Harmon family, were asked to stand down. Because this was one of the families that was going around speaking the conviction of their heart. And they, they, as they shared the conviction of their heart, they were asked to stand down. Listen to this account from the pen of Ellen White. Soon the minister visited my father's family. The entire family were interested in the doctrine of the Lord's coming. The minister wished us to withdraw from the church as that would save us from a church trial. My parents told him they wished to know the reason of the request. He said that we had been walking contrary to their rules and that they had ra would rather us withdraw than to, have to, than to have it sounded out that they had turned us out. We preferred, this is Ellen White writing of her family, we preferred a trial that we might know what sin we had committed. We were not conscious of any wrong unless it was a sin to be looking for and loving the appearing of our Savior. Our family were notified of the church meeting and we met in the vestry of the meeting house. The only charge brought against us was that we had walked contrary to their rules. It was asked, what rules have we violated? After a little hesitation, it was stated that we had absented ourselves from the class meeting and had attended other meetings, and they considered that we had violated their rules. They had attended the Millerite meetings, the, the meetings of, of William Miller and what the Millerites taught. 
And they said, you can't go to another church's meetings and still come to our meetings. This is a violation of our rules. It was asked of us whether we would agree to conform to their rules and confess that we had walked contrary to them. We answered that we would confess that after the manner which they call heresy, they have done. So would we worship the God of our fathers. So we would, we would continue to worship the God of our fathers. We dared not yield our faith. The Harmon family was then dismissed from the meeting. And Ellen White writes this, at the commencement of their love feast, Elder B read off our names, seven in number, and wished it understood that it was not for immoral conduct that we were turned out, but over a breach of their rules. This church of the Harmons were more worried about their rules and the persistent testimony of young Ellen Harmon than the mission of their church. The friends of Paul were more worried about the motives of those who were, who were, who were sharing things than the mission. And all Paul cared about, all Paul cared about was the mission. Was the mission. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Do not try to even the score to say, well, if they decide this, then we are going to do this, is wrong. Don't bear a grudge even, but love others. Really, truly, don't just say it, really, truly care about the mission more than your own position. I think about this, if we really truly cared about the mission more than our own position, every time we expressed our position, we would also go out and express the love of Christ to a neighbor. That would be really showing that we cared as much about the mission as our own position. And finally, last one, respond always like Jesus. Philippians chapter two, verses three through eight. The Bible tells us, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the main mindset as, same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Protests always go south when a group in their rightness or their perceived rightness starts to think of themselves as better than those they are opposing. Jesus, the greatest reformer, Jesus, the greatest Protestant ever, humbled himself even to the point of death. And what did he do? What did he do when those who had, who had put him on the cross stood around him and mocked him? What did he do when those who put him on the cross gloated over the decision that had been made? What did he do when, 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 when they spat upon him and said, if you are the Messiah, then, then pull yourself down off this cross? What did he do? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As protesters, 
to really be true protesters for the cause of Christ, then our protest should look like Jesus' protest. He didn't back down from his convictions. He didn't shy away from what he believed. He didn't stop pushing for what he believed. But, but, he blessed those who opposed him. And he sought in every way to do so. Oh God, we pray for the heart of Jesus. Let us, as protesters, as Protestants, do unto others as we would have done to us. Let us, as those who maybe are protested against, do unto others as we would have done to us. Let us not seek revenge, but, but trust God, trust Jesus to carry forward in bringing forth right and putting down wrong. Let us not simply give lip service to mission, but, but help us truly to do mission. And let us give grace and space for mission to move forward. And of course, we pray for Jesus to keep us humble, seeing the best in others, even if it means we don't get what we want, even if it means we must pray and accept the decisions of those we feel are against us, even if it means that we, like Jesus, will say, this is the consequence of my stand. I will still bless you and bless your name. Let's pray. Jesus, we are Protestants, but we have so much to learn from you, our God, our King, our Savior, and our Creator. Teach us, Jesus, and truly reform us, I pray, in your name, amen.
Lord Jesus, I pray the words of that song that we will all be united under your name. Lord, that as we grow together individually and as a church, that we will always seek the character and the ways of Jesus. Lord, I pray for your blessing upon each individual in this room as they go forward this week. I pray a blessing on the Spencerville Church throughout this week, and I pray a blessing upon our global church this week as well. The Lord, you will be mighty in our midst, and that everything that is said and done will be to the honor and the glory in the name of Jesus. We pray. Amen. Amen.